it's basically a sort of um we're talking about a kind of a trauma on a collective level in in many ways um and you know people going through these experiences and desperately looking for support but but everyone's going through these experiences it's not like there's someone who is exempt and someone who is able to step outside of this pandemic and say oh you know i can i can i'm in a really good place i can come and sort of you know provide re- help regulate you and help kind of help you heal from this trauma because actually they're in it too so it's like nothing else really that we've ever experienced Hey, all of you Body, Mind, Soul Seekers. This is your doctor, Dr. Body, Mind, Soul, here to expand the collective consciousness of the Body, Mind, Soul connection so we can all learn to live a truly healthy life. Let's dive in. So I'm really excited to be introducing Caroline McCrory, better known to me and all of her friends as Kaz. She recently graduated with a master's in systemic family social work with Think Ahead, and is now working as a mental health social worker, starting only a few months before the world entered a global pandemic. With rates of domestic violence, unemployment and mental illness soaring in just a few months, there has never been a greater pressure on our social services, services that have already been severely underfunded for over a decade. Kaz is working on the front line, seeing the effects this is having on her clients and her community. So Kaz, I... I really wanted to bring you on um, to the podcast to really sort of um, explore your experiences as a new social worker um, during this coronavirus pandemic. Could you sort of explain to me and the listeners what that's like for you and for your the clients that you're working with? Um, yeah, so I guess, yeah, it's a sort of very strange time coming into mental health social work. Um, I think I'd been sort of officially working as a fully qualified social worker for um, mental health social worker for about six months before um, the p- pandemic hit and um, ev- and everything changed. So, you know, it hit everything. So it hit the staff and it hit the clients in very different ways. And it meant that, um, you know, people who were already socially isolated became more isolated. People who were um, already anxious, depressed, um, and really struggling um, uh, to tap into their community or to do other things were suddenly um, even more alone than ever before. But what it also meant is that suddenly our way of supporting people drastically changed. And um, we were you know, trying to do reduced face-to-face contact. We were, um, you know, having to wear masks in meetings. And, you know, that was incredibly difficult because, you know, a huge part of supporting and helping and healing people, helping to heal people is is through connection and through relationships. And how do you build those when all your tools are taken away from you? I mean, well, that's a good question that I want to flip back onto you, actually. I mean, how do you do that? you know your connection is what you need to offer people and your the ways in which you can connect are really really impacted I think one of the sort of glimmers of hope that's come from you know everything um, that's happened this year has been that we've been forced into a situation where we have to see things differently we have to start kind of 
um, creating new ways of working and new ways of doing things. And I think before this, we wouldn't have even considered those things. We never would have considered doing, you know, assessments over the phone or, um, or seeing clients online or, or whatever, you know, new techniques have been um, starting to come about. I think what I was surprised about is I thought it would be consistently harder and I thought it would be, um, it would never be as good as face-to-face. And I didn't necessarily find that. Um, and my research showed that actually um, people rated the phone assessments um, slightly higher than the face-to-face assessments because I'd kind of done half in my research before I went onto the phone. So it's quite, it ended up, you know, by chance being quite a good comparison. Um, so people rated it higher, which meant they were finding them just as effective in my kind of really small sample size. Some people have really struggled with the reduced face-to-face, but what I think is, it has just taught us to be um, maybe broader in our thinking and also to learn to connect in different ways and to realize that that is possible um, in some situations. What I also want to cover though is there are some people who are really struggling in the community right now because face-to-face is something that that they um, really miss and that can't really be overstated. Oh yeah, definitely. So I've got, yeah, I mean, there's a few people that I'm working with um, at the moment. I'm just thinking of of one lady in particular who um, found out she was pregnant last year and um, her mental health had been quite, quite bad. She'd been in quite a bad place and she found out she was pregnant unexpectedly and it was a huge protective factor. She um, took really good care of herself. She became really stable and, you know, just before the pandemic hit, I would have been um, sort of preparing to discharge her from our service. And then suddenly everything was taken away. So she she no longer had any um, face-to-face contact with perinatal services. Um, she was told she couldn't have her partner at the birth. Um, so this was sort of a month before she was due to give birth. Um, so her whole birth plan was out the window. Um, you know, she wasn't having face-to-face um, appointments at the hospital anymore. She would have a quick check-in with the consultant on the phone. You know, everything was changing. I was no longer having face-to-face. I was having phone contact. And it really, really impacted her mental health went really downhill. And, you know, this is someone who, who and then she had her baby in May and, um, you know, and her, her mental health stayed quite, quite sort of precarious for quite a while because of that lack of support. And she was someone who really depended, um, not only because she was pregnant, but because she just, um, she needed that kind of support and she really got a lot out of seeing people um, in person. Um, and so that had a huge effect. Like everything was kind of ripped out from under her in one in one fell sweep. And um, that's just one example of many where someone has found themselves first what, at one minute with lots of support around them, lots of professionals and seeing people um, regularly to suddenly having, you know, the odd phone call with, um, with a professional. And it, it's a huge, um, you know, it's a huge thing to start, like suddenly find yourself in that position. And yeah, in the world of mental health, it's, um, it's had a really big impact and, but not only on, um, clients you know I've noticed that in our service there's been um, a huge amount of stress stress within the staff team you know people are struggling to people are going through their own sort of difficulties and challenges and then they're having to then support people who are likely to be in more crisis than they were before you know going through crisis and going through more difficulties than they were previously so you've got 
people who are stressed and overwhelmed, supporting people in um, going through crisis. And it's basically a sort of, um, we're talking about a kind of a trauma on a collective level in, in many ways. Um, you know, people going through these experiences and desperately looking for support, but, but everyone's going through these experiences. It's not like there's someone who is, exempt and someone who is able to step outside of this pandemic and say oh you know I can I can I'm in a really good place I can come and sort of you know provide help regulate you and help kind of help you heal from this trauma because actually they're in it too so it's like nothing else really that we've ever experienced. Yeah you make a really good point that yeah the supporters in this instance are also affected by the same experience that's going on um, by their clients and in some way it's hard to pour from an empty cup you know um mm-hmm. it's sort of almost like um yeah there's no one that's been unaffected by this and when it's interesting that you say this has been like a collective trauma I often tell my patients when they come in and they're expressing um feelings of anxiety and they may not understand where the anxiety is coming from and I sort of often tell them I mean this this is in the this is in the collective I mean at the moment look what's going on we've got so much there's so much going on in 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 the collective not only are the rules changing on a daily basis around coronavirus we've had a really disruptive um American election that a lot of people have been following and we've also got climate change that's sort of simmering in the background there's just a lot going on in the collective that I think people are really um feeling and are being really affected by um and it's it's no surprise that that um that the rates of anxiety felt on a personal level are increased when we're living in such um such turbulent times absolutely and um yeah like it's so I was really lucky to kind of have all this um sort of training and experience in in trauma um when I was back in Australia and um you know what we know about trauma is that it impacts on the brain and um but we also know that to heal trauma you need connection and you need to learn to regulate the brain um, and to be able to, um, uh, it's all about sort of connecting with people in a sort of safe space. So you imagine someone who's um, traumatized needs this, needs to kind of, needs their brain to be rewired to see the world as safe again and to see um, people as safe. So you take that person, right? And then you're suddenly, um, that person is going out into the world and um, everyone's wearing masks. So they can't actually see anyone. So they're not seeing anyone to smile at them or reassure them. Um, Then they're, um, you know, everyone's kind of on edge because no one wants anyone to get too close. So, um, you know, so that person who is already traumatized and it's sort of dysregulated and finding it hard to um, find um, you know, find the world safe or find people safe is then going out into this kind of alien world where people are, um, you know, are kind of unfriendly because they're, they're scared too. And there's no one that's, um, that's offering that connection and that safety and that stability, which is how you heal trauma. So people are going, you know, you're taking there's no opportunities for a healing community at the moment because people are so disconnected. 
So if connection um, is the is the answer to healing trauma, there is there is none of that now. You know, people can't even smile at each other because they're wearing masks in the community. Um, there's no reassuring kind of um, you know touch. There's no um, you know there's no kind of comforting um, interactions. It's all, everyone's very much, and people become hostile in these situations. So, you know, and they become very defensive. So when you're facing this kind of threat and you feel unsafe yourself, you, you know, you batten down the hatches. Um, so people, yeah, basically people who've experienced trauma already and are sort of, um, they're then going through this, this situation now where everyone is feeling a sort of sense, sort of feeling of trauma because of, um, because of what's going on in the world. So where's the healing take place? You know, there's no, mm-hmm. there's just so little opportunity for connection now. And it's, it's, it's having a massive impact. Mm. What we need to be creating for people in order for that kind of the rewiring and the recovery from trauma to be happening is sort of therapeutic community. So it's not enough to, you can't re- rewire a brain based on like, you know, an appointment every couple of weeks with a professional. It doesn't work like that. That might help, but it's not enough. So there needs to be that reinforcement in um, communities and um, in social groups and social networks, there needs to be that reinforcement, you know, that the brain is, the brain is rewiring and getting those messages that, you know, the world is safe. Um, but the, the problem is that, um, you know, in the current situation, how on earth do we create healing communities and healing social networks when everyone is isolating and keeping away from each other? Um, so, so it was hard before um, anyway because there was limited resources. There's always been, you know, not enough resources, not enough, um, you know, services, but, um, and not enough funding. But, but now it's like on a different level of hard. It's kind of like trying to link people into communities that are no longer operating as normal communities. You know, the, the pressure now with, with on services is is kind of through the roof because um, it, not only are we dealing with a lack of funding and lack of resources, but we're dealing with, um, you know, a situation where community has just been completely depleted, you know, social networks have been depleted. Um, and how do you help people heal from, you know, from trauma? How do you help people kind of, um, uh, recover from mental illness when, when that's what you're, you're kind of left with, that's what you're dealing with. And that's, I think, explains a a lot of why, uh, why in the A&E departments at the moment we are seeing so much more mental illness um, and so much more acute mental illness, so severe mental illness, because what, what it's meant from my point of view is is a lot more people in crisis yes. who are expressing, you know, suicidal ideation much more intensely, which then lands them into hospital, which is really, which is really challenging. And I think, I think it just, as, as you said before, it's, um, it's really deciding and understanding that there is a cost to this lockdown and this, the, the cost of this lockdown is really real. Um, and the isolation that's required um, for the control of coronavirus is severely impacting those who really need connection to keep their mental health 
just stable enough to to function it's so interesting talking to you about what you see on your side of things um because what i also have noticed is that when people are stressed and when they're under pressure and they're feeling burnt out is um they become more kind of defensive like their world becomes smaller and you become more defensive of what you're doing almost i've noticed that it's sort of very easy to kind of put the blame on other services when in reality we know it's people just like us who are so stressed and struggling themselves and doing absolutely everything they can for clients um but it's better to, for us to tell ourselves, well, we're doing everything we can. And actually this service should have done that. And this, and I see it, you know, I see it within our teams a lot with home treatment team as well. So we work quite close to the home treatment team, but there's this constant battle of like, no home treatment team should have done that. And they're saying, no community team should have done that. And it's just, that's kind of got worse with the pandemic because everyone is so stressed. Everyone now wants to feel like, you know, well, someone else should have done something different. And that's, you know, but the reality is actually everyone is, is doing their best in a really, really difficult situation. And it's really good to talk to people like you who are in different parts of, you know, this sort of whole service, um, so that we can, uh, we can remember that. Um, I think difficult circumstances like this do make people's compassion kind of wear thin. So you, you stop having that. And I've had to remind myself of that because when you're stressed, you don't feel that compassion for other people. You think, wow, they, you, you know, you have a, you have less tolerance, um, and you're quicker to, um, judge. And I've really noticed that on both personal and professional levels at times when I'm stressed, um, you know, all of those things creep in. So it is important to kind of remember that as well. I try and remember that it's not helpful, but, but it's just a, a kind of natural consequence of, of stress. But the thing is as well, is that what I've noticed and what we've talked about before is that the services are so um, discreet at the moment that it's very easy not to make to shift responsibility um and it's also easy to to blame another part of the service and that doesn't help and i think that we do we do really need to integrate the services that are available um to provide a more holistic approach to that person's um recovery um than is happening right now and i i feel really i feel frustrated um frustrated at the at the lack of of integration communication um and i guess support that each team within mental health services could be offering for um each other to provide a better service for the client yeah absolutely and um, i mean we see that all the time as well so um and there's really long waiting lists for each service and it's um you sort of you know, assessment is seen as very different from intervention, which I don't actually agree with. Um, so basically, at the moment, the kind of within mental health, we, we'll assess a client, um, we go through the all the questions, and then we say, right, you, you need to go to psychology, or we would suggest you go to get some support for your um, alcohol use, or we would suggest you um, have an OT assessment, whatever whatever the issues are, you then refer them on to an appropriate service. Um, but what we're doing is we're completely missing opportunities for um, healing and intervention by having this approach because actually healing, you know, is 
like you said, it's holistic. So every single interaction we have with someone is actually an opportunity um, for creating a kind of therapeutic dialogue. And that has been shown, and there's more and more research now out there to show that, um, you know, therapy doesn't just take place in, um, you know, in a psychologist session. And by seeing um, services, um, interventions, services and teams as really discreet, we're actually missing you know, we're missing the point. We're missing like how we can actually be, um, holistic in, in interventions. And, um, you know, and I try to now, um, I've tried to develop much more kind of holistic assessment techniques so that when someone comes in for an assessment, that's an opportunity for them to tell their story and that's healing in itself. And it's not, it's not a chance to just gather information and collect data and then say, right onto the next service. It's actually an opportunity to connect with someone. And that is possible within one session. There's loads and loads of research now on single session therapy, for example, which shows that, um, you know, people can make, um, you know, huge, huge, significant gains in, within one session with someone. And, um, you know, it doesn't have to be therapy in the traditional sense of the word. It can be therapeutic with a small T in, in any situation, you know, and I know that, um, everyone's experienced that on a personal level, you know, you, you're feeling really stressed and rubbish and you go to a friend's for a cup of tea and you just, you let it all out and why well, you feel so much lighter afterwards. And the fact is that we can actually be doing this in a professional level we just have to kind of expand the way we view things we instead of seeing um uh, oh well yeah but my the point of my seeing this client today is not to have a chat with them it's to um gather a set amount of information so i can then refer them on to the appropriate service you know that that having that kind of approach isn't actually going to be um it's a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity for a connection, interaction, for having a more relationship-based approach where we're actually connecting, genuinely connecting with someone. Um, and and often people, you know, people in after assessments have told me they they feel better just for having been heard. And we all have the opportunity to hear someone. Like that's that's the kind of key. That's what underlies it all. We all have every single encounter we have with someone there's an opportunity to listen to hear and to um and to validate and to um you know uh have compassion for someone's story and and often that that's underrated you know we don't we don't appreciate the impact of that i wonder if we can sort of if you can talk a little bit more to i think it's 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 so true everyone's under pressure um and, and everyone's really going through a difficult time, whether you're in your personal life, in your in, in your professional life right now. And I guess you're highlighting the importance of, of recognising that stress, um, that we all should be recognising what we're carrying into work and, um, and recognising um, the impact that that's going to have um, to how you're interacting with your, with your patients or with your clients. And I wonder whether now might be a good time to go through... Um, the writing therapy that you have used before just to see, you know, can, if we can implement that and why that might be important to implement. So can you, yeah, can you go, can you go into that a little bit for? Well, yes, yeah, so it's interesting because I've been finding because of these long waiting times, I have been um, sort of making suggestions to some people when I do assessments, for example, and then refer on to different services. I'm aware that there's then this big wait, there's waiting. Mm. So I have been finding that I've been turning to kind of 
help people, uh, sort of making suggestions to people for, for sort of doing things in the meantime and, and sort of starting to kind of empower themselves, I guess, in, um, by using different strategies. And yeah, like one thing I've, I've started mentioning more I've noticed is, um, is writing therapy because it is something that, um, can be really powerful and it's most importantly, it's something that's free and something that, um, you can do on your own at any time where you feel sort of cool to do it. So, um, yeah, the, the main kind of, I guess the main sort of principles behind the, the sort of benefits of writing therapy are that, um, you have, you might be feeling really sort of stressed or have these different emotions, you know, going around in your head. Um, and by writing things down, like your, your thoughts and your feelings, um, you start to form a, a sort of narrative around it. And in that, in that sense, you're processing it in the same way that you would if you were sort of talking face to face to a friend or a therapist. Um, so you're sort of, it's the same sort of process. You're putting words to fit, to, to, um, to your feelings and to your um, experience. And in doing that, you're processing it and then putting it, you're able to put it behind you. So, um, you know, it's the reason kind of often um, emotions are, are, can be, feel really kind of like a kind of messy and a, a confusing is because, um, you know, we often we might have been so an example is we might have been come back from work feeling really upset and but just not really be able to pinpoint or no we don't really know why we're upset we're just in a bad mood or we're feeling really down or we're feeling and then it's by giving yourself that space to kind of sit and write through write down how you're feeling you might sort of come to a realization that oh it was you know something triggered you earlier and it's sort of led you to feeling feeling down and and by understanding that it sort of um, makes sense of it so you're sort of able to say okay well that actually makes sense you know someone said something to me that felt and I felt a bit rejected or I felt hurt and I felt upset and that led to then just lingering feeling but often emotions happen so quickly and events happen so quickly in our lives that we don't have the chance to understand them so writing gives you the space to put a narrative around them in that way and process them. Um, and you can start it in any way, like you can do, um, you know, I get, I guess the thing to avoid is feeling like oh, I've got to write in my journal every day because, um, then it becomes like a chore and it becomes something we kind of, ah, oh, I've got to do this. I haven't done it and I'm avoiding it. Um, but actually if you just kind of write when you're at, you know, if you feel, if you feel that up to it if you're feeling kind of a bit emotional and you just write down how you're feeling um if you can't sleep at night you could um write down anything that's on your mind and then just kind of fold it away leave it for for tomorrow just that kind of like um small acts can kind of have um quite a quite a beneficial effect of sort of putting aside your problems and you'll open them up again tomorrow and they'll still be there and you'll be able to tackle them then but putting them aside for now um you know, it's really good for um, goal setting, for kind of breaking down goals and considering kind of barriers and um, sort of writing down, um, you know, things like about your sort of core values and um, whether you're sort of um, in line with them at the moment and just reminding yourself of things like that. So, um, 
yeah, writing therapy. I mean, there's loads of research on it now, and it and it it's it's been shown to have really really beneficial effects. But like I said, most importantly, it's flexible. It's free. It's something we can all do, um, or most people can do. Obviously, you know, there's clients who might struggle with literacy, or who, um, or or anyone who might struggle with literacy and not feel comfortable writing things down. But but on the whole, it's kind of a tool that that people can um, can use if. Um, uh, and that can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I certainly use writing writing in my life. Um, I, I find that when I feel a bit confused, I guess, and yeah, and I'm not sure exactly what the confusion is about, I guess writing helps me sort of just, yeah, as you say, make sense or I start to see themes coming up in the journaling that I do and I suddenly start to, realize that something's bothering you that I hadn't really been able to identify before because it seems to be coming up time and time again um so it's quite an interesting um useful strategy as you say that's free that's flexible um and that's really quite accessible to a lot of people and I too have been um suggesting it to 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 patients because it's really important to, or I'm finding it's it's really important to try and, as you say, empower people to 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 do things while they're waiting for these really long waiting list on these really long waiting lists for for therapy. Because Kaz, in some in some districts, I'm hearing that um it can it can be over a year to wait to see a therapist, and even then, my understanding is that there's only seven sessions that are available um for um free psychotherapy um and that just seems woefully inadequate and also to wait several months up to a year sometimes longer to receive that therapy we need to be offering something we need to be offering an alternative in that meantime because people need help now yeah it's um i think there's so many um sort of issues with the system in many ways because you know for example where i work what we do is we'll do an assessment with someone and we'll say oh would you mind telling us your whole life story um we'll work out on a plan with you what you need and so that you know for some people that is the first time they've really talked about things and you know they've talked about things that are really traumatic and personal to them within that that sort of hour and a half two hour assessment and then we come up with a plan with them and then we might say, you know, um, we'll refer you to our psychology service, we'll refer you for care coordination. Or by the way, you know, you'll need to wait probably nine months for psychology and it's probably about seven months for care coordination. Um, thanks for sharing your story. See you later. And then there's this like massive wait and, but someone's already sort of started that process and been so brave and like, you know, in opening up and talking about their trauma. So we can't just then leave them with this huge gap until they're then seen again. So yeah, you're right. You know, there's a real problem with the system. And again, just the stress, it's it's no one's fault. It's not that, you know, people don't want to see people quicker. It's this huge pressure on services and such a wider issue. But, um, but yeah, it's such, it is a problem for a client that feels like a massive rejection as well. So they're getting that sort of, the whole sort of, 
um, rejection and, and trauma kind of up, coming up again because they've just divulged their life story and been, you know, really open about what they need and ask for support and taken this huge step. And then they're told, well, yeah, you know, we agree you need support, but we can't get it for you for another 10 months. And, um, or in some cases much, you know, in certain areas, um, sort of, um, autism clinics, ADHD clinics, um, within our area, there's sort of two or three year waiting lists to actually be seen. So it's, it's just completely, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, unbelievable really um so yeah you're absolutely right we need to be i don't know coming up with some sort of solution so that people feel held in the meantime they feel contained and supported um which is really difficult because again there's not nothing kind of magical there's no kind of um there's nothing that we're not suddenly going to have a light bulb moment or why didn't we think of this for someone to try it's it's kind of trying to just be creative and flexible with what we've got. So like you said, writing therapy, or I might talk to clients about self-care in the meantime, and how can you do, how can you implement some, like one, you know, self, something that's um, some sort of form of self-care each day, just one small thing. You know, um, I think, you know, every everyone I speak to is realistic about, they understand that services are pressured. It's about the individual connection. So even just saying to them, you know, like, I really, I really want you to get the help you need. And I really do care. It is frustrating for everyone that you have to wait this long. But, you know, how about in the meantime, how can, what can you do to help yourself? You know, that kind of thing, including that in an assessment, you know, that in itself is just, it's just saying, look, I care. I, I'm here. I want to support you. You know, unfortunately at the moment, things are really tricky, you know, um, and it, you know, there's really long waiting lists, as you said, but it's, but, but I do care. And I guess that's the kind of relationship based stuff that we need to be incorporating into the work because that's, you know, that connection with someone else, it can be, I think it can be more powerful than we give credit for. And yeah, I think what you're really sort of talking to is just to bring the humanity back into our consultations and make sure that people do feel cared about. They do feel seen, they do feel heard and they can walk away with something that um that they can try in the meantime um while they're waiting on um other services to to kick in and you know just to add that like almost everyone i know who i work with is um you know would have that approach they're very you know they absolutely care so much about their clients but i think the problem is that we've been brought into a system that's incredibly medicalized and you know there is a there's a real um medical approach for mental health of like okay what's the diagnosis what's the what's the medication okay where are we referring them to here 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 boom 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 that's it okay client assessed you know next and and i think that coming into that when you have a much broader kind of holistic and compassionate approach that you want to implement is really difficult when you're in that kind of system and um you know it's about somehow finding the change you know like there's there's so many people out there that i believe have you know so much to give and so much care and compassion to give it's like how do we harness that within a system that's kind of um it's kind of it doesn't support that and it's really suggesting the opposite yeah and and uh, yeah I I really I I really feel you there because as you said before when when people who are going into these professions like social work and like medicine and nursing and all of these healthcare professions are are 
are coming into them because they really want to help. And then they come into a system which is exceedingly under-resourced, um, which, as you said, then makes their work life very stressful. And when you are stressed at the limit, working under, um, with very limited options to offer people, you as a person become depleted and feel a bit helpless. And, yeah. and, and that helplessness then makes you feel um, stressed and shut down and almost have to cut the compassion off because you would feel, because of the helplessness, I think, because you can't offer what you want to offer. Therefore, you have to cut the emotion and the disappointment off from yourself because, because otherwise it would just be a continuous depletion on, on your own, on, on, your, on yourself. It's, it's really... Yeah. I think, yeah, that reminds me of, um, like my supervisor once said to me years ago, so I think I was feeling really kind of really emotional about a case and I was really upset and I was like, this isn't, you know, I'm not, haven't got the professional boundaries in place and I'm not kind of, and I remember him saying, um, I would be so much more worried if you weren't feeling this, like, you know, this is a human reaction. And, and I think, and that really stuck with me. And so whenever, if I feel like I'm sort of getting a bit sort of over-involved or, or, upset or emotional about a case I think well that's a good sign because it's a sign I'm not burnt out and I'm not sort of too depleted that I haven't got that emotion to give to someone and it's when you know but I do yeah like you see the opposite happening exactly like you said where people are you know so stressed and burnt out and they um that they sort of shut down that side of themselves so you know and you're talking about extreme trauma that's really difficult for that people have been through unbelievable things and um and then there's a kind of blankness because, you know, we've kind of had to shut down to kind of protect ourselves. And, and that's when you start, that's when that you kind of lose the humanity. So it's a sort of, it's a huge kind of an issue on a much bigger scale. It's, it's sort of like, you know, people feeling stressed, burnt out because of the wider systemic issues and that leading to then a shutdown, which in turn leads to lack of connection. I think that just summarizes it so well. And, um, that's definitely been my experience and, and, and what I see happening around me. And that really um, saddens me. And anyone who's entered the, the healthcare professions want, want to be offering help. And it's really sad and frustrating that as soon as we get sucked into that system, that that becomes hard to do um, because of the depletion that it, that it has on ourselves and also the, the helplessness that we feel within it. Um, and that just, yeah, trickles down to the, to the people that we work with um, I feel like we've been a bit bleak and we talked about a lot of this stuff so I, and I feel like I hope it hasn't sounded too depressing because I think there are real positives coming out of out of this you know this whole situation as well there's people who want to make a change and there's people you know and like you're you know what you're setting up is like incredible and I think I think there's so much opportunity as well and I hope that like what we've been talking about hasn't seemed to depressing I don't know what do you think it's I, I don't want it to kind of come across as like oh it's all doom and gloom because I definitely think there's so much opportunity to change as well and I do think we're in an incredibly difficult situation at the moment with a worldwide pandemic you know no so such limited resources and you know so much stress in the world and um but I think but I think through that there's these kind of like glimmers of hope of of like you know changing things and and doing things differently and actually you almost like you need to it's like you almost need to reach rock bottom to kind of make those changes in some ways um and and I do think I I guess I want I guess I just wanted to kind of the overriding sort of 
take-home message from our chat not to be about you know the doom and gloom but about the kind of um aspects of change and and the the hope for for you know for things to shift and because i think yeah that that there's so much opportunity to you know it's a, it's a it's an amazing thing that we have the opportunity to kind of um to to help people just by listening like anyone can do that right that's a kind of that's such a great feeling we don't have to be trained in anything to make a difference to someone and um make a difference someone's day we we, you know this it's actually basic kind of human connection so i think that in itself knowing that is really is a hopeful kind of message isn't it i think the pandemic is teaching us many things and one thing is that things need to change. You know, we, we are reaching a point where we can, the health system needs to change. We, the way we live needs to change. You know, we're not living sustainably in so many ways. And it's really interesting that from this conversation, I'm really getting that connection um, is key. I do think that things are in crisis. Mental health services are in crisis. Our healthcare system is in crisis. We are, you know, we're living in a pandemic, all of these things. And they are, crises are, offer the opportunity to look at what's working and what's not. And we do have a chance to orchestrate change. So it has actually made me feel um, hopeful um, just talking to you and just um, knowing that people out there are, um, I guess, thinking about how to do things differently is, is really encouraging. And, um, yeah, it's left. Yeah. I think it's important to step out of our day-to-day, the day-to-day grind and, and look at things like this because in this way, because, um, you know, that it's really helpful to kind of, um, take that time and think about how we're doing things and whether we can, um, do things differently. Um, and if you don't take that time out, you kind of, you end up in automaton. You're just kind of like on this kind of, you know, on a hamster wheel of, um, kind of, and you're forgetting to look outside. And so, yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's great. And I hope that this community that you're building will lead to so many more kind of inspiring. I think the connection between people who want to want to create that change will be, um, really inspiring and really important for people. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, that is that. That's the hope. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for your time, for your insights, for your experience. Um, I really value all of that, and um, I think we've got a lot of um, really interesting um, points to ponder from this conversation. So, thank you very much. It's my. It's been an honour, Jude. <laughs> thank you for having me. Great. Thank you so much, Kaz. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. If you have any questions relating to this episode, or you have a topic you would like me to explore on the next podcast, shoot me a DM on Instagram at Dr. Body Mind Soul. 